When I was a girl, I fell in love with finding secret things. Some of the biggest secrets are right in plain sight. We don't see them because we can't see them. We've been taught not to see them. They're willful secrets, chosen secrets, blind spots. And the biggest blind spot of all is how society impacts men and what ignoring that impact means for all of us. Like a furry torpedo to the jugular. This is Honey Badger Radio. Radio Bite. Hello and welcome to Honey Badger Radio. My name is Allison Tiemann and with me is Hannah Wallen and Brian Martinez. And we will be your hosts for this HBR Digest. <laughs> Digest where we go over the last week in Badger and bring you the most delectable portions. As always, if you want to support the show, mosey on over to feedthebadger.com for a number of exquisite delectable feed options. And if you'd like to get a taste of our community, please head over to badgernation.online and enjoy our public square. Feeling the social isolation blues? Have fun with fellow Badger fans. So feedthebadger.com to make sure these shows keep coming and badgernation.online to sample the fun in our community. Now onto the shows. Brian. Yes. This this is a very special guest because even before we had him on, we were talking about him, weren't we? Indeed. Yes. Mm. He, that is correct. He was on, uh, what, what was the name of the show? It was uh, Timcast IRL, which is a podcast hosted by Tim Poole, mm. independent journalist, formal, formerly of Vice, uh, now basically working on his own. And he is one of very few um well-balanced voices on news mm. uh so yeah so this guy we had him on because he had some interesting things to say about masculinity why don't you tell me how the interview went and and uh, what you talked to him about yeah so i spoke to jack murphy jack murphy was a guest previously on tim pool that's how i found him and i reached out to him jack murphy is an author and founder of his own uh, sort of men's community or men's club known as the Liminal Order. And the Liminal Order is um, essentially a, a group of men. It's almost like a, uh, it's it's got like academic elements to it. So they say they teach philosophy, they teach masculinity, they also teach fitness and other things. And they, they share a lot. It's a bunch of men sharing wisdom with each other about um, men and masculinity. And I thought that his uh, talk on Tim Pool's show was really interesting because Tim Pool doesn't usually discuss gender issues. He simply discusses the news and the political climate and, you know, things of that nature, journalism in general. And one of the things that Jack Murphy was more interested in discussing that was in relationship to, you know, the news and the political climate, the social climate, et cetera, was the state of men and masculinity in current times. And that got my attention because he seemed to be uh, hitting really close to something that I think is is ultimately uh, what we need to work on. And so we had him on. Uh, he was, you know, uh, a delightful guest. He had a lot of great things to say. Um, specifically, we discussed the work that he does with men, which I talked a little bit about with the liminal order, uh, his interest in masculinity, his own personal journey, uh, which, you know, uh, how he basically started off and he was, you know, kind of a feminist type. And, you know, he, he had, um, I believe, uh, some uh, uh, experienced a, a terrible uh, breakup, uh, which, uh, you know, sort of split his family and so on. And and how he kind of 
evolved from there and learned a lot. He got involved with the red pill community. Uh, he actually spoke at the 21 convention um, a couple of years ago, I think. So, you know, he went on a, a long uh, personal journey and I thought he was a really good get. And uh, I hope again that, you know, we'll have him on again in the future. And he continues to sort of go down this road, which I think he will be. So. Yeah, I have a question for you. What was the most insightful thing do you think mm -hmm. he said? Is that a tall order? Um, well, I, I wouldn't, I, 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 I don't want to say that he didn't have anything um, insightful. I, I, all I would say is what I learned is, is that we are more on the same wavelength than, um, than I previously suspected. So I think that there were still some things that I was saying that he saw as kind of curveballs like my theory about social media being um, massively multiplayer online games for women. Um, <laughs> but you're right. It is. Yeah. Um, but because uh, he said, well, I use the Internet to, to grow my platform. And I said, yeah, but it's still it's still like a, I'm not saying it's feminine, but women run the space. You managed to carve a space out. Well, and that's also, great, you're probably but, not talking like the traditional you know. search engines or news groups. You're talking about social media. No, no, no. I'm talking about social media. Exactly. And that was the word. Those were the words I used. I didn't say women own the internet. Um, I said social media is, you know, that women's, for women. Women's but, battleground. Yeah, it's the yeah, battleground. Cancel exactly. culture it's is the online driven by women. There can be only it absolutely one. Is. Yes. sharpen your swords <laughs> and you know acknowledging that because i think that he was a little hesitant um maybe to uh, sort of like see where i was coming from because maybe it sounded like i was um you know demonizing women or moving the overton window towards a, a, an anti-woman stance but i said no acknowledging what women are capable of doing and what they can do and that they have the power to do that and it is not at all has nothing to do with what i think about women as what, a group it? it's just acknowledging that they can do yeah this. what is it that uh, so. you know acknowledging that women can do bad how does that become misogynist or anti-woman does is there like something in these people's minds that oh if i acknowledge that women to do bad that means i think they're bad like you don't recognize that women could choose not maybe to? they're yeah maybe they are afraid that the rhetoric uh can sound like feminist rhetoric towards men um, but I'm, I'm pretty careful in how I choose my words. I don't and think I, anybody I don't, uh, argues that men are capable of evil things or domestic abuse or rape sure. or anything else that's negative. I think uh, a lot of traditionalists, uh, are raised to think of women as angels and anything that you say that does not uphold the idea that women are and must be angels, um, it makes them uncomfortable. Mm, yeah, you're probably right. Okay, so this is speaking with Jack Murphy on how masculinity can save the world. Fireside chat number 160. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Honey Badger Radio. My name is Brian, and this is the Fireside Chat. I am here with very special guest. Um, he's a podcaster, an author, uh, I guess you could say a, a, a philosopher king on masculinity, Jack Murphy. I don't know if you've ever been called that before, but. A few times. Yeah, there you go, there you go. Uh, welcome to Honey Badger Radio. I was watching Tim Pool, who um, I've met a couple times, and uh, I like to, sometimes I go to his channel to see what he's, what he's talking about. And uh, I saw you were on, I didn't know who you were at the time, but I, I watched this conversation uh, discussing 
all of the crazy stuff going on in politics right now, you know, and what struck me is you kept pivoting to a discussion that wasn't about specific sort of, you know, uh, political positions or even political principles and the kind of stuff that people usually fall back on when they're discussing, you know, what's happening in the in the United States or what's happening in the West in general. You actually said, you know what I think? There seems to be an issue with men. There seems to be an issue with masculinity. And it seems to be a sort of core problem. And, the, and this is, it transcends the political. It transcends the sort of stuff that we end up getting mired in. And being that today is election day, um, I thought, you know, this is actually a pretty good time to sort of discuss this. So what what are your feelings on what I, how I sort of characterized uh, your position on this? Yeah, thanks for having me. You know, after that Tim Pool episode, somehow you guys tagged me or I saw something come across socials where you were breaking down the video. So I peeked in and, uh, you know, I could tell that you guys were asking questions from a perspective that I could relate to. So I thought uh, I would respond and, and, you know, sort of continue this conversation. It felt like there were sort of rabbit holes you kind of wanted me to have gone down during those conversations. And so I was happy to, you know, have a chance to talk about them a little bit more in depth with you. And you're right, uh, when talking about contemporary politics and the the day-to-day -day stuff, you know, you can get lost in, in all the misinformation and confusion, distortion, distraction, whatever, and the blow-by-blow, minute-by-minute sort of, you know, tweeting of the news cycle and the whole thing. But really what we're talking about are much larger issues that are sort of tectonic in nature and that aren't, you know, just what we're seeing on the surface, you know, this political stuff is all just sort of the, you know, the ripples on top. And these are like huge tides that are working. And, and I came to understand, so I came to develop my worldview on politics, starting off with men's issues, man. I, I, I got red pilled after my divorce in 2009. That's a common story found like uh you know back then it was Roycey and Roosh and Rolo and all those guys and back back in the day way long ago a lot of the social media stars you see now we we were all on the same forums and the same message boards with different aliases and handles and stuff all yeah that. yeah and uh, it's it's crazy to see how things have evolved since then but I started pulling on that string. The string was like, hey, I'm 33. I'm divorced. I've been married for 10 years. And in that time, Tinder happened and online dating happened. And the whole world changed. I didn't know what to do when it came to dating. So I just started figuring, trying to figure it out, started asking questions and, and came across game. And and as as one does, if you are thoughtful about it, you you begin to learn game and then you begin to learn philosophy and then you can see how it's all tied to self-improvement and how it's all tied to the political sphere that we find ourselves in and the cultural dynamics that are going on and the conflict that we see. And, uh, you know, 10 years ago, people would have thought you were an insane radical nut job to, to suggest that, you know, feminism or radical feminism or whatever you want to call it, I was tearing the country apart. But now, now you can say not only is it feminism, but it's evolution and mutation and intersectionality, critical race theory, et cetera you can say that it's clearly an issue and it's a massive issue and it's an issue that's now in the mainstream dialogue and it's in conversations that we're having uh, on every level and the language is even making it into you know the politicians mouths and the and their talking points and stuff so uh, i pulled on one thread you know i want to meet girls how do i meet girls i pulled on that thread and here i am all the way now 10 years later you know interviewing world leaders white house officials leading philosophers and 
and carrying on this conversation for everybody to participate in. What was the inspiration for the liminal order? Why, why does this exist? And, and tell people a little bit about it. Sure. So the liminal order exists in direct response to all the things we've been talking about today. Uh, there, there are a number of approaches you can take to sort of fight back against what we see. You can run for president, you can run campaigns, you can petition, you can be an activist, you can do public displays of force, you can do all kinds of stuff. What I decided to do was sort of leverage the power of networks and technology and to create a private space off of main social networks uh, where men of like-minded values can come together. Our three common values that we hold dear are brotherhood, masculinity, and sovereignty, and all of the sub-values contained therein. And we all believe that we need to see more of this energy in the universe. We need to see more of this energy to save the country, uh, to save ourselves, to save our families and our communities and our neighborhoods. And so rather than stick your head out on the chopping block of social media to get it chopped off and doxed and done away forever, let's, let's like put down deep roots. Let's put up a gate, you know, let's close off the rest of the world. And let's work on manifesting more of those values in our membership and in the world around us. Mm -hmm. And so we run continuous programming on, on a number of different subjects that fall within those various values. Like we first start with physical fitness and training. It's number one. And then we study things like fourth generation warfare because we live in a networked information war. That's what's happening all around us all the time. We've studied philosophy. We study great books. We study cognitive behavioral therapy so that we can control our emotions and be you know, better able to adapt and, and thrive in the world around us. We study sense making, which is intentional understanding. It's something that you need to develop as a skill in order to be able to withstand the information war that's around us in the, the polluted information space that we live in. And then we have like personal networking, private business networking. We've guys start businesses together, guys work together start new projects, start new endeavors. And we have meetings all over the country. We've had meetings in almost 20 different cities. We've got hundreds of members around the country. And we all believe in the same thing, that the way to fight back against this culture war is to, is to focus on our values, manifest more of them in ourselves, the world around us, and then to live, work, and play with people who share your worldview. And, you know, we're, we have plans to grow this thing. And the interest is just through the roof. We have thousands of people on the waiting list wanting to get in. And we only hand, let in a handful of people at a time because we interview every single member that comes in. Everybody is vetted. And then there's a very extensive onboarding process and, and you don't even get access to the full thing until you go through some steps and you get acclimated and, and adopt sort of our, our way of thinking and such. Mm -hmm. And what we've seen, the results have been incredible. I mean, science tells us that community makes people happier, healthier, and wealthier. And right now, all men's communities, all masculine spaces are either under attack or already been destroyed or they're fading away. The Masons, I had a guy join the other day, said he was a Mason. It's like, I was 45 years old and I was the young buck. I was the kid at the meetings, right? Like the Masons are dying, literally mm -hmm. just dying. And so with all male spaces under attack, these values under attack, these values being the solution to the problem, we thought it'd be a good idea to create a network of powerful men who believe in these issues and who want to see more of them in us and ourselves and in everybody around us for the sake of saving ourselves, our families, and eventually the nation. And all along the way, we have fun too. I mean, go to the range, have drinks, you know, schedule trips and do all kinds of stuff. So it's like a fraternity combined with a association combined with a, an academy, 
let's say. Yeah. These these fraternities are popping up all over the place. And I do think it's absolutely imperative because the fact is, if it, what we are dealing with is an excess of the feminine in our political, social, and cultural spheres. And there is almost a complete um, loss. If, uh, we have forgotten the value of the masculine. And, and part of it is because it's been under attack, but then there's also been generations of young men raised without fathers that are completely lost. And so they're looking to reconnect. And I think this is how you get all of these other problems. Well, there's more to it than that. There's the physical element. Testosterone mm-hmm. testosterone levels are at basically all-time lows. Grip strength at all-time lows. Sperm counts even at all-time lows. Like masculinity is under attack both as a concept and as a practice. And, and, and its spaces are being destroyed. So it's like, where does it live? How does it operate? What is it good for? All these things being being destroyed. I want to go back a little bit to the Proud Boys. I mean, I I, I know Gavin... I know what they were doing and why they did. They fucked up though. Like they Mm -hmm. public displays of force, getting in fights in public, attacking people, providing security. All that is just a way to draw attention to yourself in a negative way and look at it. I mean, they're, they're suffering for it. Gavin has suffered for it and they continue to be vilified. Limo order, man, we have a very strict, no public display of force policy. Sure. No public communications. Limo order doesn't come out and take positions or endorse candidates or go to rallies or protests or provide security under the name of limo order for anybody. None of that. Mm-hmm. We've learned. We've learned from Proud Boys in some respects. Uh, but we're not like them, really. I mean, the Proud Boys, I don't think, would consider themselves an academy. If you were going to have women in your society, you're going to have women that are going to say, I prefer that man over this man. Or I want a man who can provide me with X. And once a woman says, I want a man who provides me with X, a whole bunch of men are going to be like, I got X. And they're going to fight with each other or compete to get it. So you cannot eliminate rivalrous behavior without addressing the fact that you'll have to change women's preferences. And this is something that very a lot of people don't want to ask. So that's what I mean by the woman question. I think it's hysterical when women criticize men or the state of masculinity or whatever, because women are the choosers, Yes, generally speaking, and they've elected over time to mate with men that have resulted in a man pool such as it is. Mm-hmm. And it's all on them. So when these radicals today are complaining about the current situation, they're not only critiquing men, they're critiquing the choice of every woman that went before them. And in fact, yep. they're critiquing themselves. It's filled with self-hate. It is. Uh, and that's why there's so much dissonance there. That's why there's no contentedness there. There's have you I'm not particularly uh, classically religious person. I'm very open to the idea and I have the greatest respect for people that have faith. Have you ever talked to a person with faith, man? It's yeah. like, there's just this like serenity, this like calmness mm-hmm. behind the mm-hmm. eyes. Cause as Kanye said, right. They replace the fear of everything with the fear of God. That's a pretty powerful statement. I really like that. But then if you look at a feminist or a groups for them or whatever, there's, n- there's none of that serenity there. 
There's no happiness. There's no congruence. They're all in distress because they are experiencing a dissonant moment in everything that they do if they're not respecting their biology. And this is one reason why the trans issue became so important because this was like, oh, this evidence that we can blur gender and sex and all that, even though it doesn't happen to but what, less than like 0.5% of people in the population. And then I want to just point out one thing. I do believe I believe in hypergamy. I mean, it's obvious. Chicks like to date across or up. It's pretty obvious to me. Should be obvious to everyone. Men like to try to have sex with many different people as they can. Mm -hmm. Try to spread that seed far and around. That's our biological impulse. Both of women and men can set aside and rise above a biological impulse if they make a commitment to each other, if they make a commitment to a union. Now, it takes a special person to do that, and it takes a special kind of commitment, and it takes a special kind of relationship. The number one way to attract people is to do stuff. Mm -hmm. Start doing things. Don't be the guy who says, hey, this is a problem. Be yeah. the guy who says, hey, this is a problem, and here's what I'm going to do about it. Would you like to join me? You'll find much more support for anything you do in life if that's if that's your that's your attitude. Start creating. You will attract people who want to support you. If it's a good idea, if it's a dumb idea, it won't. I have found that good ideas usually you know right away. People will respond right away. You say, I'm gonna do this, I'm like, oh, it's a great idea. <laughs> you find out. Mm -hmm. And then you just grow it. And as the market grows and your audience grows, then more and more people think it's a good idea. But you just got to start. And I would just use that advice for anything. Don't be the guy that brings a problem. Be the guy that brings a solution. That's a masculine trait. We're back again for the news. Brian, you had a number yes. of scintillating news items that, I did. that scintillated. Oh, well, maybe not. Maybe scintillating <laughs> isn't the right word. Yeah. Despairilating. Uh uh, well, I mean, you know, it's always good to know what's happening in the world. Mm -hmm. Without darkness, how do you know where the light is? Yeah. So I, I guess if everything was light, nobody it. would be able to when, see. When it's dark. Um, but yeah. So the, the news stories this week, um, for one, there was a story about one Kyle Rittenhouse, the 17-year-old boy who uh, essentially shot and killed two men in self-defense and wounded a third because he was chased down and so we can officially say that now. N no um i i think that uh it's still there basically they're still trying to um they're still trying to pin him with with this but that essentially the illinois couldn't charge him with anything wisconsin extradited him to face murder charges um against these three men or two men and maybe an attempted murder on the third i don't know he didn't there was one man he didn't kill and um but i mean we we're pretty confident that this is like a, a self-defense just based on the video you can watch it uh then we have a story of a man in mumbai um who was acquitted of rape many years after um many many years after he was accused of raping a 17 year old girl that he met on a bus who he had actually like no involvement with so it was sort of like silver linings i guess um <laughs> a um a psychologist it's not one of those shot... it's not one of those uh, african countries where they 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 just recently decided to go back to the death penalty for rape does it no 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 because no. you can imagine no. that it, that was yeah, right. Exactly. And Oops. then taking that back. 
No, this was India, but uh Oh yeah, Mumbai, um, right? Yeah. Oh my god, that that was terrible. I'm gonna have to flagellate myself for that mistake. <laughs> yeah, that's that that gets it's me okay. for not listening carefully. All right, continue. Yep, no problem. Then we have a story of a um psychologist, Michelle Bordeaux Deegan, who killed her sleeping daughters and then herself. Um because she did not want her uh, husband to get custody of the kids, uh, which I guess he was going to get because apparently she had a mental issue or some kind of suffering from CPS. something. Ironically, um, oh yeah, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, Child Protective Services was already on the case um, and yes. they're probably going to be taken away from her. Uh, I, I can yes. only imagine how bad the situation was if it was that kid yeah i remember reading about this and i was a little bit perplexed because everybody was like oh she killed them to prevent them to get in the the clutches of an abuser because he she had a protection order out against him it's like well protection order doesn't really prove anything to be quite frank and not no, to mention the fact that killing them should really be considered abuse yeah this is a domestic violence yeah. murder but they don't usually put in kids with domestic violence murders uh, and they, another trick that they do when, when they present evidence that men are more likely to murder, well, first of all, they get rid of all the children who are murdered, but they also don't report on the gender of the person who murders their spouse, because a lot of cases it's another woman. Uh, so anyway, I just wanted to point that out, but anyway, continue. Yeah, no, I'm just saying that it pretty much exposes that, you know, if, if you're afraid you're going to lose your kid because you're being investigated for having mental issues and your solution is to murder your kids and then yourself, they may have a point. You may in fact have had mental issues. Most likely. I'm not laughing at the situation, but it does seem to scream problem. Self-demonstrating de so, self item is self-demonstrating. Yeah, it's a little obvious. Uh, then we have a story of um, some, a couple of really crazy parents that had uh they had i believe it was three daughters and a son and they locked their eight-year-old boy in um in a room with nothing but a mattress um and a blanket and they only they only did this to the boy but the three daughters lived normal lives and um the the room but basically what happened was in in desperation one of the daughters so like the sister one of the sisters to this eight-year-old boy uh brought him i believe it was um the means to start a fire so she um uh gave them i'm just double checking here because i haven't looked in this in a little while um but i think they gave him a lighter or something like that and he lit the room uh lit the mattress on fire so that the fire department would come in the hopes that that would happen and put it out and then find him. And he was found in a, a room with, like I said before, only a mattress and a blanket. And the room was smeared with feces and urine because they wouldn't let him out. Um, and he was malnourished and all of that. I don't know what the reasons for this might be. Uh, like I said, they had three daughters and one son and they only did this to the son. No idea why. And just, it's just a crazy story. Wow, that's horrible. It's yeah, also horrible, it horrible for the, the, the sister who, who did this. Like, um, I mean, for horrible for her. I can only imagine. I hope they lose custody of all their kids. Oh, yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, I believe that uh, the, the, the authorities have the kids now. But yeah. statistically, uh, boys are more likely to be subject to abuse. Full stop. Uh, so mm -hmm. that's not like this is this comes out of left field. If if parents are going to abuse anybody, it's going to be the boy. Um, it because we live in a society that really values its sons. You see. Okay, next one. Yeah, that's it. Oh, those are all the stories. Not Johnny Depp loses against the son. Oh, I forgot the big about that headline. one. Yeah, that seems, that seems the big headline. That one. seems important. Yeah, it's a little, the little big headline, bit. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Johnny Depp lost his case against the son. That's correct. It was um, the son. He was basically fighting a libel case against the son for calling him a wife beater. And um, this, you know, obviously would have a terrible impact on his reputation. Um, also, you know, it, it could affect his career and it could affect if there are essentially like um, if, if uh, his ex-wife Amber Heard tries to get custody of the kids or something, it could also impact him in that way. And he was fighting for several months. He had a lot of support online. There was tons of evidence that had come out, lots of very, very solid evidence, recordings and such, that showed that Amber Heard was, that it didn't show any evidence of Johnny Depp being abusive. It did show evidence that Amber Heard was being abusive. So theoretically, if we were exercising any amount of logic, you could at least at least suggest that it was a two-way street with with regards to abuse. But not only did that not um, happen, but the judge hand-waved all of the uh, evidence against Amber Heard's abuse, including like the piece of finger that Johnny Depp lost as a result of her behavior. <clears throat> and he lost his case against the son. So they can officially call him a wife beater now, and uh, as a result of that, by the way, he lost his work uh, on the new sort of film franchise that he's been involved with, which is uh, Fantastic Beasts, uh, which is, uh, I think it's like a sequel or prequel to Harry Potter or something. But he, he lost a job working on those films. So it, it's, a, it's a dark day for justice. And The Sun is literally doing victory laps because they wrote an article praising Amber Heard for her courage coming forward uh, because abuser, uh, you know, women who have been abused seldom do, um, and that Johnny Depp's uh, own power and celebrity influence, uh, he was le leveling all of that against her, and it, it just so happened it didn't work, according to the author of this article. All that tells me, though, is um, that if you're a man and a woman is accusing you, there is not only no such thing as male privilege, there's no such thing as celebrity privilege rich privilege, uh, handsome privilege, or financial privilege, because you can still lose a case, period, if a woman accuses you. Yep. Female privilege so. trumps all. I just wanted to mention something that I read recently. So apparently there's some conflict of interest with the judge in the case. His, his yes. wife is friends with Amber Heard or Amber Heard's family. Yeah, they are kind of connected through a couple of degrees of separation, yeah. Well, wife being friends with Amber Heard's fr uh, friends or family or Amber Heard herself is a bit more than just one separation, a couple degrees of separation. Anyway, so I've heard that they might have grounds for uh, it, the appeal or even getting According a new trial. To, yeah, his lawyers um, have said, and he has said publicly, that he is going to appeal, that an appeal is already in the works so obviously it's i mean the, the evidence and uh the the way that the ruling happened and everything those 
present grounds for an appeal. And then if there is also a conflict of interest, that would just make it even stronger. Yeah, that would. Yeah. All right. So stay tuned for Johnny Depp loses against the sun. Kyle Rittenhouse extradited on HBR News number 280 with Brian Martinez, Hannah Wallen, Mike J, and Dr. Random Rakam. This is HBR News number 280. Johnny Depp loses against the sun. Kyle Rittenhouse extradited where we reflect on the stories of the week and give it the badger treatment. Hello and welcome to Honey Badger Radio. Hope you guys are doing well this week and that you are laughing at all of this absurdity so that you are not consumed by it. I'm your host, Brian, and I'm joined by, as always, my austere patriarch, because Mike Jay's not here, unfortunately, and our handmaiden, Hannah and Dr. Random Cam. It has been revealed that the Smith & Wesson rifle that Kyle Rittenhouse used to defend himself against a progressive leftist mob that was trying to murder him, by the way, had never left the state of Wisconsin. The rifle, quote, was purchased, stored, and used in Wisconsin and was never physically possessed by Rittenhouse in Illinois, end quote. According to Lake County State Attorney Mike Nurheim, This seemingly minor detail is enough to beat one of the weapon charges against Rittenhouse, which alleges he crossed state lines with the weapon. Remember, that was one of the original charges that he had on him. Rittenhouse still faces a misdemeanor charge of possessing a dangerous weapon while under the age of 18. While Rittenhouse has won at least one of the gun charges he faced, he has not won the battle to prevent extradition back to Wisconsin. His lawyers argue that the extradition was political in nature, which I'm sure it is, and that he would face many problems if put into an adult jail in Wisconsin. That's That does not sound good. Remember, Kyle Rittenhouse is 17 years old. Despite these arguments, Judge Paul Novak ruled that the teen would be extra, extradited back to Kenosha. So, uh, as I'm sure everyone has heard by this point, uh, Johnny Depp's lawsuit against British newspaper outlet The Sun has failed. Depp sued the newspaper for libel after they claimed he was a wife-beater on Monday. Judge Andrew Nicole ruled in favor of the newspaper, stating, quote, Depp beat his wife Amber Heard, causing her to suffer significant injury and on occasion leading to her fearing for her life, quote, and that the newspaper's claims were, quote, substantially true, end quote. Judge Nickel continued stating, quote, I have reached these conclusions, having examined in detail the 14 incidents on which the defendants rely, as well as the overarching considerations which the claimant submitted I should take into account, quote. At this time, it has not been announced if Depp plans to repeal, but sources close to his legal team indicate the plans to do so are already underway. And before anyone claims that this is the immunity of the left or whatever, the Sun newspaper is very much, well, I don't know if I should call it a right entity or a conservative entity. It's one of Murdoch's uh, things. It's one of his outlets, basically. So it's hard to to sling any uh, partisan mud on this and for any of it to stick. It's, you know, apart from women get away with shit and men don't. You know what I mean? A University of Kansas student had told school administrators and police that in September of 2018, she had been raped at a party by an acquaintance. 
sounds like a unique and novel story that we've never heard before. The woman originally did not want to press charges and only told police after someone she knew, quote, threatened to tell the police about the incident, end quote. Weird that you would tell the police that you were raped, but you don't want to press car uh, charges. After going to a hospital for a rape kit, the woman had given her phone to the police who had found evidence that the woman had, quote, fabricated the rape story to affect the relationship between herself and the victim. Yes, the victim of the false accusation and her ex-boyfriend, end quote. The woman said that she had joked about the incident with a friend. The Kansas City Star reported that the woman, quote, made light of the incident and seemed to suggest that the encounter was consensual and just a mistake on her part, end quote. The woman was arrested for making a false report, but charges were later dropped. Women's groups had insisted after this, after dropping the charges that the woman that women never lie about being raped, prosecutors dropped the charges because they claimed that the prosecuting that prosecuting a potential liar might hurt real victims because real victims may be afraid to come forward. And then on top of that, on top of the shit sandwich, the woman is suing the University of Kansas and the city of Lawrence. She claims that the police department and school had treated her like a suspect and not a victim. Uh, a psychologist in Washington state shot her seven-year-old twin daughters before turning the gun on herself Friday night. Ironic psychologist. The murder-suicide seems to be motivated by a custody dispute over the twin girls. 55-year-old Michelle Boudreau-Deegan worked as a psychotherapist, according to her website. As cited by the Daily Mail, the front page of the site reads, quote, My goal is to teach clients new ways of perceiving their problem, healthy coping behaviors for responding to their problem, and healthy attitudes and communication skills for working with their families, partners, or work environment so they can make changes in their own life. Quote, on the day of the shootings, Deegan shared a number of articles about narcissists on her professional and personal Facebook pages, including several related to parenting and a few about how people in relationships with narcissists can be driven to suicide. A person who claimed to know Deegan described her as deeply troubled and added they had con contracted child welfare or contacted, sorry, child welfare authorities with concerns before their deaths. Another Facebook friend of Deegan's wrote the following quote, Michelle was a wonderful woman. She had to have been trying in an absolutely sick, unimaginably twisted way, obviously, to protect the girls from a life with their dad without her. Wow. Another said she was a kind and warm friend, bright and empathetic, a psychologist with a local practice that helps so many people, including me and my daughter. The friend confirmed that Deegan was in a hor horrific custody battle with a man she had a domestic violence protection order against. She wrote, every time she believed her divorce was almost final, she would, have, she would be dragged into a new frivolous and expensive renegotiation. She had been bankrupt by litigation, right or wrong. She worried for her girls with their dad. The sad irony is not lost on me. This was a mental health tragedy, not a terrible person. The friend concluded with, I just really want everyone to know that Michelle did not abuse the girls. She loved them. She was just sick and scared. <sighs> Florida parents. So you already know. I've, I've, I've just set the tone already just by starting with that set. Florida parents. 
Is this a this, face-eating story? This could go anywhere. No, uh, we've <laughs> we've done that. Isn't that like from much the Florida earlier? man? Yeah, yeah, eats long the face. time ago. That's when we thought the zombie apocalypse was starting in Florida. Which, if it starts anywhere, it's probably going to be there. Um, Florida parents Kelly and Daniel Davis were arrested on aggravated child abuse charges after firefighters responded to a fire in their son's bedroom. Firefighters discovered that an eight-year-old boy had set fire to a mattress, probably as a cry for help. Following, police detectives found much more. The young boy was locked in a dark, boarded-up room which contained only one mattress and a blanket. The room was smeared with feces and urine, the window was boarded up and the electricity to the room was shut off via a circuit breaker. Allegedly, the Davises, the parents, kept him locked in the bedroom for as long as 12 hours a night with no access to a bathroom or electricity. Police say that the boys spent the boys, the boy, sorry, spent long spells inside the room with no access to toys, games, or television. The couple had five daughters in the same family that were not treated this way. One of the girls slid a box of matches to her brother under the door, who then set fire to his mattress. So good on you, um, sister. According to the mirror, prior to the fire, several 911 calls had been made about the home. In one incident, a neighbor reported that a boy came into their garage seven times looking for food in one day. Quote, police attended but reported no safety concerns or welfare concerns, end quote. Mr. Davis had worked with a construction company and Mrs. Davis was a stay-at-home mom. They were arrested on aggravated child abuse charges on October 5th but have been released on $10,000 bonds. The couple's six children are now in state protective custody, according to the Pasco County Sheriff's Office. <laughs> Okay, Hannah, it's time. It is once again time. Okie dokie. So, right. uh, so this what, is... I, I'll, oh, you gotta, you gotta let me wait. You gotta, you gotta wait till I... <laughs> no, Allison, you can't do your job. I'm gonna jump the gun. All right. Hopefully well... I don't get extradited to Wisconsin for it. <laughs> That's pretty black. Cold there. All right. <laughs> well, it's cold here, too. Yeah. Okay, so what's the topic and why did you choose it? The topic is the, well, the title is that the three main responses to Movember are too, too many. And the, the topic is essentially uh, women responding to men's interest discussion and activism and initiatives and so on, uh, not by supporting, not by joining and becoming a part of the good work that is being done for men, uh, but instead by trying to absorb these uh, initiatives into women's movements and control them. Um, and that's if they're not busy opposing them, which they initially did. And uh, so we, we, we discussed basically, you know, what this reaction is like and, uh, you know, what it, what it does in respect to, uh, to men's initiatives and what women really should be doing. Uh, if they want to be helpful towards these initiatives, if you know they want to be part of these initiatives, and uh, you know what what it would look like, what what good female activism for men looks like, and uh, we had a pretty good discussion about it. So, All right. Uh, 
So stay tuned for the three main female responses to Movember are too, too many. HBR Talk with myself, Anna Wallen, and Lauren Brooks. What does a feminist say when she sees a men's issue start to gain popularity in public discussion? Mine. HBR Talk with Hannah Wallen. It's about this time every year that we talk about the Movember Initiative. For listeners who haven't seen or heard of it before, the Movember Initiative is the world's leading charity focusing on men's health. The original idea was simple. It raised funds in the same manner as sponsored charity walks, but with mustaches. It began as a few guys just having fun, but soon transformed into a fundraising effort for prostate and testicular cancer research, its reach growing over the years to become the world's biggest initiative for this purpose. In the last few years, its focus has expanded to include mental health and suicide prevention, with methods for fundraising expanding to include charity walks and runs, social gatherings, and, well, anything as the Mow Your Own Way page describes. You can find out more by typing movember.com into your search bar. You'll be directed to your country's page for the initiative. This initiative has historically been supported by the men's rights movement, with reactions by feminists varying from outrage that men's health has gotten any focus at all to lukewarm approval with a caveat to the idea that women's health is more important. In recent years, as awareness of the problem of male suicide has grown, feminists have taken another angle, and this year we cannot talk about men's health initiatives without talking about that. This is what they always do. We've seen it with every other men's issue, and it's not surprising to find it happening with this one as well. When a men's issue is discussed from a perspective that focuses on men's needs, without condemnation of men's interests or masculinity, feminists initially throw a huge tantrum. They deny that the issue is real, or that it is a problem. They castigate us for bringing it up. They accuse us of derailing discussion on women's issues. October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and you'd better not forget it, even after the month is over. If you move on to another topic at the end of the month, it's not because it's enough to have a full month of pink products, public reminders from every possible mouthpiece, including national leaders, and widely promoted social media stunts to remind you that breast cancer still exists, still sucks, and still merits research for a cure. It's not because there are other cancers that also suck, also still exist, and also merit research for a cure. It's not because it's important to support the health of both sexes. No, guys. It's because you hate women, including those close to you, and you want us all to die of breast cancer. Even if you donated, wore a Save the Tatas t-shirt, supported and helped your wife or girlfriend in maintaining her breast health, and even took the feminist advice to talk to other guys about the topic because you think they should be doing all of these things as well. None of that matters now that you've shown your true colors, guys. Clearly, if you also support men's health, you must just hate women. Also, you are probably gay because you hate boobies, and you beat women, and you have a small dick, or something like that. They did that for a few years before the feminist mainstream began realizing, as they always do, that rather than silencing public discussion on the issue, this tactic just made them look like horrible people. In the face of such information, what do feminists do next? Well, of course, this issue is a problem. We've always said it's a problem. No feminist has ever denied that this is a problem. But women still have it worse. Cue the arguments over whether breast cancer or prostate cancer is more deadly, which cancer's deadliness matters more, and who is the primary victim of a cancer patient's death. 
During the last few years, I learned that if you really want to see a spectacular display of rage, ask a feminist just how effective her efforts really are if, after decades of public awareness initiatives, heavily funded research and advancements in medical treatment, breast cancer is still a major emergency that merits ignoring all other forms of cancer. Of course, it was inevitable that feminists would eventually realize women worsting wasn't going to eliminate discussion of prostate and testicular cancers, especially given that instead of becoming diminished, the discussion in the main fundraiser for research expanded to include other areas of men's health. Last year, they showed signs of realizing this is yet another men's issue they cannot quash or even minimize. What do feminists do when faced with a tide they cannot stem? They attempt to join, absorb, and control. They're doing that two ways with Movember. The issue of male suicide has been targeted for years by the feminist toxic masculinity narrative. We've discussed that narrative quite a bit, pointing out in past HBR talks that feminist use of the term began with an Australian professor, Raywin Connell, whose writing on the topic mainly took place before she transitioned from Robert to Raywin. Connell's view of men and masculinity is full of biases that likely originated not from careful study but from her own experience of gender dysphoria. Feminists have been quick to pick up the term, run with it, and fling it at any discussion of men's experiences as if it negates men's suffering and absolves feminists of responsibility for their hand in minimizing men's value, rights, and overall humanity. When we bring up the issue of male suicide during November's initiatives for men, Feminists just ramp up that narrative, so we'll have to be on the lookout for the Movember suicide awareness efforts to become a mouthpiece for the feminist toxic masculinity narrative. The second thing they're doing is newer. Despite female participation in the Movember initiative from its start, and despite the fact that you don't even have to grow facial hair to participate in the Movember initiative, feminists have begun claiming women are excluded. Oh, the horror that women should be excluded from a men's health initiative. How dare those hairy bastards think they can have a project of their own for the benefit of their own gender without female supervision. You can't have men advocating for men through a male-centered initiative that uses masculine themes. How misogynistic, guys! And the feminist grifters come marching in with arguments that actually men's health depends on feminism and that it's time to put a female twist on the Movember initiative women with mustaches. And oh, by the way, forget about that pesky prostate and testicular cancer fundraising. That's so yesterday. So what's it about now? I'm doing Movember to prove that women shouldn't be ashamed of their facial hair, writes Maria Meller for UK publication Metro, written according to its about page for a young, mobile-savvy metropolitan audience. In an article in which the words prostate and testicular appear zero times, Meller writes about her personal experience with having facial hair and demands that people stop judging hairy women. While she did get roasted in the comments for co-opting a men's initiative, she's not alone in her solipsistic approach to Movember. Her article does nothing but jump on the bandwagon started last year by women's razor company, Billy. They've continued the campaign this year with a short video dedicated to changing the subject from men's health to women's experiences. Currently, this video links to the Movember initiative in the low bar, as the brand has started a team initiative for Movember. Is it bad that a women's razor company or a bunch of feminists are raising money for a men's initiative? No, of course not. If the money goes toward the men's health research the Movember project has always supported, there's nothing wrong with it coming from these sources. 
What's bad is that they're using doing so as an opportunity to try to redirect the topic back to women. Again. For that, they deserve to be criticized. Women and women's organizations who do this need to hear from men that this is not a valid way for women to participate in men's initiatives. It's not that men's initiatives don't deserve women's support. Women can be strong, formidable, and highly effective supporters of men's initiatives. Women's social power can be a valuable tool for promoting men's welfare and men's interests when we use it to expand public recognition of men's circumstances and experiences. It's that these initiatives are not about women. Men's issues initiatives shouldn't be about women, and redirecting to make them about women isn't support. It's exploitation, in the manner that feminists always exploit non-feminist initiatives. Join, absorb, control. If unchecked, this will eventually result in a redirection of the entire initiative to female victimhood and funding feminist organizations. Like, I, I, this whole thing, this victim signaling, like, if name-calling and bullying, like, those suck. They're mean. People shouldn't do it. Um, and, and the best way to disarm it is to roll with it. But they still don't measure up to, you might die from this condition. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the, the names, just so everyone is aware, name-calling doesn't stop when you get out of high school. This shit happens for the rest of your life. Oh, shut up, you pick me. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I don't Sid, know what you two called me back, okay? <laughs> Seriously. All I, every sound out of your mouth just sounds like internalized misogyny to me. Oh my gosh. You patriarchal. That's exactly what I had for dinner. What? I ate a big plate of misogyny, internalized the whole thing. Misogyny and meatballs. Uh. Oh man. Okay. Because eating eating balls is always best. Um, I'm not going there. <laughs> She's got paragraphs here. I started bleaching the hair on top of my lip, but soon enough it became too thick to be rendered invisible and then with the now blonde mustache hairs easily catching the light. <laughs> I was constantly self-conscious about it, assuming that people were staring as they talked to me and that their eyes were floating downwards. Well, were they or were you just assuming it? Yeah. Like, because then that's an issue with you, not the other people. <laughs> yeah. And My if this is what you looked like, I think it really is an issue with you. My feet finished growing in, like, junior high. <laughs> I was self-conscious about that. I used to do up my hair really pretty because then people would look at that and then it's the farthest thing away from my feet, right? But I never actually got to the point of like hating it and worrying about it all the time and thinking gosh you know people are only looking at my feet like that's another one how many how many guys actually have the luxury of this level of self-focus and in particular this this shallow facial self-focus i am so ugly nobody loves me like how well, many guys have the luxury of doing that Without having people go, why are you even thinking like that? Don't you have better things to do? Well, they have no luxury because they're going to be shamed if they express any shame towards their bodies because that's not manly. But uh, just like this this whole thing just struck me as, you're right, it's, it's incredibly, nobody owes you liking your facial hair. Nobody owes you liking your flab. 
Nobody owes you making you feel better about yourself. And these are such trivial problems that, I mean, is the, so these are your problems. Th this is it. Yep. Yeah, uh, if, maybe if you, you should consider coming back when you have worse ones. Yeah. Right. Well, like, or, I guarantee you, know, you I, I guarantee you, anybody that actually has cancer, the last thing they're worried about is how much facial hair they have or how much hair, hair on their legs they have. You know, they don't care about yeah, that They might shit. be worried about losing their hair, but they're more worried about dying yeah. from, you know, not, not, not so much the chemo, but the thing that they're being treated for. What they found, what advertisers found, like, because they do focus groups and they also do studies, is that when advertisements show women things that women are insecure about, it doesn't make them feel less insecure. It just reminds them of their insecurity. So advertisements like this, talking about facial hair as ugly or stigmatized, remind the women reading it of their insecurities. So this is this is this really does not have anything to do with benefiting women. It just has to do with sucking money out of their pockets. But here, listen, listen to this particular paragraph. It is so. As of mid-October, I had stopped removing the hair on my face in preparation for growing as impressive a mustache as I can. And I feel all I feel so far is relief. In this terrible world we live in, I have one less thing to worry about. Seriously. Oh, <laughs> one less thing to worry about you know what who cares like if you don't want to have hair on your lip then remove it is you it know, that big a deal like how long does it take i actually um i had a i had a customer when i worked at the pharmacy that um just let her she just let it grow she was just like i'm not dealing with this this is bull and she just let it grow um and uh it, it you know it was different but I don't, nobody ever seemed to act like there was anything wrong with her or anything. So, you know, like I didn't really, never bothered me. It was one of those things like, well, this customer's going to come in and she usually gets these things. And, you know, and, and then she's usually in a hurry if she comes in at this time of day. And those are the details I paid attention to, uh, you know, but I noticed the mustache in passing. Just like, you know, there's a guy's mustache in passing. I was like, oh, well, that's different. Hmm. Like if you're if you're proposing that your solution is that you're gonna wear your hair proud, and then you're you you look like uh you 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 don't have any hair at all on your face, then that doesn't make any sense. And that's why I'm saying that this this reads more like it's trying to promote women's insecurities. It's trying to remind them of feeling uncomfortable about their facial hair. And then it's going to show them a girl who has no facial hair and is cute and looks fine. And, and it's going to associate feeling hairy with not being hairy at all. So every single woman who looks at that is going to be like, oh my God, I, I, I'm, I'm even more hairy than this hairless porpoise girl. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like, and what 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 this does tell us about Movember though is that the initiative has gotten successful enough for grifters to want to glom onto, and use it for their own profiteering. Well, she's probably not profiteering if it's going no, directly. She might not be, but but Billy is. Billy is. I would also add when I, when I was saying that I don't think therapy really necessarily assists or can assist. It's not a magic bullet, right? Yeah. Oh. It's, uh, it just isn't. And from my own experiences, having, uh, you know, I guess do peer counseling through the discord, 
there's something about having a community that is rooting for you that you can't replace with therapy. You know, having a group of people who are invested in a positive outcome for you that you don't get that from therapy. You know, you might get uh, somebody who is a completely non-judgmental sounding board, but you don't get the feeling like you are supported and, you know, other people have invested in a positive outcome for you. And um, there's a, like I said, that just can't be replicated with, 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 with therapy. And no, it really it, can't. And there's nothing like for men in the greater world. And this is another thing that I've noticed with, with dealing with men or dealing with men who are, who are, who are struggling with their, with negative emotions. They need to feel like what they're doing is benefiting other people. And if you aren't able to create that sense in men, then men are not necessarily like they're going to have, unless they're extremely narcissistic or sociopathic, they're not going to have mental, good mental health outcomes. So you can say to women, oh, you need to take care of yourself, sister, or, you know, you know, be nice to yourself, stuff like that. But for men, it seems to be that you need to connect benefiting themselves to benefiting other people at the same time. You know, and though, if there is no way, no way to do that, then I know that, you know, everybody's like, oh, that's simping or, or, you know, be MGTOW, be an island onto themselves. But this is something that I've seen consistently. Almost feels like a, it's an aspect of masculine psychology that maybe f women for some reason skip, but whatever. What were you going to say, Herna? Yeah, if somebody had said to me, you can take care of yourself and stuff like that when, when I was suicidal, I would have kept the whole bottle of pills down instead of throwing up. That was that like that was exactly <laughs> you know what kept me uh from from completing what I was doing was I it occurred to me in very graphic terms and very graphic mental images that my parents would have to walk in and find me dead on the bathroom floor and how they would feel how it would affect them and uh that I was like I couldn't do that I know that was like now it's not for everybody that not everybody has the same experience of what stops you um but being reminded that not just that I had people that cared about me but that I had people that I cared about made a mm -hmm. huge difference made all the difference in the world for me and yeah. it's made all the difference ever since and I have had people that I cared about and that's like my focus in life has always been having people that I cared about and uh, having people that I do things for and uh, you know having people that benefit from the things that I do and so I don't know I guess that makes me masculine in in one way at least um, well yeah I'm, I'm just thinking as um Whenever I read the the mental health stuff from yeah. a lot of the the organizations that they put out for men, yeah, a lot of it seems to be focused on this idea that, and I'm sure there are some men who commit suicide because they feel like it's never going to get better or they feel like they're suffering, but often it seems like it's more. Uh, I, I'm going to be give be like a brutally honest here. It seems like they think they're solving a problem, and the problem mm -hmm. is them. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. 
and and you, you got to get them out of that kind of mentality and it's not like they're they're not committing suicide because they're suffering they're committing suicide because they've convinced themselves that they're the source of other people's suffering and they're also suffering yeah and uh and it's it's like and like i said i don't i don't want to like shame men who are actually also suffering and that's that's their impetus for suicidal feelings but it seems like this is a fundamental misunderstanding. And I have never seen a man who's suicidal because he just doesn't want to be like a woman. <laughs> no, that's it. Yeah, I don't no. want to get mental health. I don't want to get, I don't want to improve my mental health because that's girl shit. You know, I don't, I, what? 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. And we're back for the final installment of the week. Brian, I know you had another call-in show. So what was the topic? How do you think it went? Well, um, first of all, I think it went really well. Um, I had a kind of a different show. I, I'm trying to do this a little bit differently with some of the Badger Lodge shows where I will bring on an additional male guest to chat with, uh, someone that maybe they have a little bit of a, their own platform, you know. And so this week I brought on Mitch, who we've met um, a couple of times in the UK. Uh, he was also known as Charming Man 93 out of Manchester. And um, I wanted to talk to him because he, well, first off, I'd get like a different perspective from the UK and, you know, maybe he would be able to like um, add in some uh, relevant commentary based on his own personal experience. So basically the topic was we were discussing the, 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 the thing that a lot of that's been in a lot of people's lips lately with regards to the uh, COVID-19 uh, pandemic and uh, various pitches for not just solutions to that, but the way we might consider reorganizing our civilization because of it in order to protect ourselves in the future or whatever their reasoning might be. Um, and there's this talk of something called the Great Reset. Uh, this is not conspiracy. This is not made up. This is real. You can find it. And it is something that a lot of people are talking about that have tremendous sway, not uh, limited to the United Nations, the European Union, the World Health Organization, Bill Gates Foundation, um, and many others. And so we are talking about this idea of globalization or globalism and what globalism is, what it means, and could it, in fact, uh, have an effect on men and masculinity? And being that uh, Mitch was, you know, he was English or he is English and was part of the European Union. I believe that they're currently talking about an exit, a Brexit strategy, you know, with, with regards to leaving the EU. Uh, maybe he would, you know, have some additional perspective on it. And then we took some calls. So um, basically that was the topic. Is there room for masculinity or how would masculinity and men be impacted by a one world global government? Because if that became a reality, then there is, I mean, where do you go? You have to be a man in that world. Mm. So I thought we would talk about it. All right. So this is, is there room for masculinity in a global government? Call in show with Brian Martinez and Charming Man 93. Charming Man 93. Thank or, you. Thank you. Or just Mitch. Or Mitch. Just Mitch. <laughs> just the Mitch. Mitch from the UK. All right. Brian's Badger Lodge. I have no number, so I cannot tell you the number. 
Hello, everybody, and welcome to Honey Badger Radio. My name is Brian, and this is Brian's Badger Lodge, which is the bi-weekly, no, I'm sorry, bi-monthly call-in show that is by men for men to discuss men's issues. And I remember when globalism was just a meme, uh, something that uh, Alex Jones would talk a lot about, and um, it just, maybe it was too big to actually try to conceive of maybe it was uh, too far out maybe there was other things that I wanted to address that were a lot more within reach and I didn't want to think about these other issues but I have a feeling that if the election pans out in the way that it might this is something that we may need to become a little bit more familiar with um, when you come when you take that and you compound on top of it uh, all of the lockdowns and how some countries, particularly European ones, are going through second lockdowns and more authoritarianism and more tyranny um, because supposedly for people's safety. It raises a lot of questions about this idea of globalism and what is being called the Great Reset. And I thought that what we could do is talk about these ideas from the perspective of without trying to understand whether or not these would be good for men and in what way will men and masculinity and obviously by extension women and families and children, how would they be impacted by this? Because I think that there is a serious connection to be made here in terms of why it's probably important that we fight back against this idea of a one world government, which is, it sounds pie in the sky, it sounds like something out of a comic book, but I think it's becoming more and more real every day. So the Great Reset, yes, urgent need for global stakeholders to cooperate in simultaneously managing the direct consequences of the COVID-19 crisis. To improve the state of the world, the World Economic Forum is starting the Great Reset Initiative, okay? Um, there is a video about it. I won't play it, but we'll go into the context. The COVID-19 crisis and the political, economic, and social disruptions that it has caused is fundamentally changing the traditional context for decision-making. The inconsistencies, inadequacies, and contradictions of multiple systems, from health and financial to energy and education, are more exposed than ever amidst the global context of concern for lives, livelihoods, and the planet. Leaders find themselves at a historic crossroads, managing short-term pressures against medium and long-term uncertainties. The opportunity... As we enter a unique window of opportunity to shape the recovery, this initiative will offer insights to help inform all those determining the future state of global relations, the direction of national economies, the priorities of societies, the nature of business models, and the management of a global commons. Drawing from the vision and vast expertise of the leaders engaged across the forum's communities, the Great Reset Initiative has set a of dimension has a set of dimensions to build a new social contract that honors the dignity of every human being. All right. So, 
essentially what's happening, and they've tried to do this before, it, it, COVID-19 is just the newest way they're pushing for this great reset. Before this happened, they were hyping up climate change hysteria. From, from what I've heard, okay, basically mm -hmm. all it is is a one-world communist government. That's basically what, what I heard. That's what it is. I mean, they, they won't call it that. They'll call it, they won't say communism because they know that people have a reaction to it. So they call it, um, you know, the global uh, globalism. They call it, um, you know, the one world government. It, it, they call it the European Union, whatever, right? They, they have <laughs> other names for it. But essentially it is, um, the idea would be that, there, that all of the um, countries would be under a single government entity and that government entity would treat all those countries in the same way that the European Union treats all of its countries. It's just on a smaller scale. And um, uh, well, go ahead, Mitch. What did you want to say? Well, I'm not sure if that was the case a couple of years ago. With what? <clears throat> Excuse me. With the whole one world government thing, uh, I think... I don't think it was necessarily a communist thing initially. I think what we call globalist, the globalists, it might be a load of different factions that are moving in one direction, but I think if we get defeated, for example, say their main rivals, the anti-globalists, get defeated, then it'll be between the Marxists and the technocrats. Because remember, mm -hmm. there's the technocrats, and they're not all necessarily Marxists, although they have similar goals, but the, but the outcome would be different. Yes, they're, they're helping each other, but then they'll end up fighting each other. And then let's not forget there's some other religious uh, zealots as well in the mix. I, I don't think it's necessary. I think there's different people vying for similar goals. Yeah, I think I, I, I take what you're saying. I think that um, uh, it's it, it is like there are a bunch of people starting. Well, a very small percentage of very powerful people are getting involved and yes some of them are technocrat transhumanist types some of them are uh marxists or you know other forms of authoritarian communists and then there's some um perhaps some element of uh religious zealotry as well but the end product of it will be um i think they whether they intend it to or not essentially what's going to happen is they are going to create um they're they're going to turn workers into a kind of slave class i think um whether they whether that was the intent or not because and the problem is too maybe beyond that maybe before we even get into that if you centralize all power into one organism there is going to be absolutely psychotic people trying to get to that right and mm -hmm. once they have that then what do you do like how 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 do you um, how like normally when a country is being uh, run by a crazy dictator, people try to escape the country. Like if you you know people escape North Korea somehow and they and they sneak away, or people escape like you know other dictatorships and they go to the neighboring country looking for refuge. But if the whole world is that way, there's nowhere to go. So, but uh, but I think that the real danger is the centralization of the state into a single 
global size organism. Another thing, and Gad Sad has talked about this, and, and we've talked about this. If you automate everything, um, you're going to have a bunch of men sitting around with their thumbs up their asses. And men with nothing to do can actually be pretty destructive. It's like having a dog that's high energy and you don't take him for walks. And he ends up wrecking the house and like eating holes in the couch, right? Mm-hmm. They, they need an outlet. And, and beyond that, men with thumbs up their asses need purpose. They need meaning and direction with their lives, right? Um, I think that the issue with any kind of system similar to this global one uh, is, is going to require a lot of social engineering and basically, uh, you know, uh, coercion and force to to even begin. And I think that that is only going to result in lots and lots of death and violence. Uh, I don't like to look at holding positions, whether they sit on the left or the right, as necessarily partisan on their own. I think that being a partisan is a specific thing. It means that you're taking a side just because you're supposed to take a side and you're supposed to take all of that comes with it, right? So like Destiny is an example of a partisan. Uh, He simply takes whatever side is the opposite of what his opponents take. And he then finds the evidence he needs to support that position but when you basically are just saying well you know if i want to solve these problems then these are the principles that i'm going to uh, you know uh, stick to that may put you in a camp or closer to one camp over another but it doesn't necessarily make you a partisan because you're going with essentially what you think is the truth and that's what you're working from and i think that um people get a little bit too uh, nervous about being seen as partisan when they talk about certain political issues and it's usually things like a men's issues people are like well i don't want this to come across as it's you know in this camp too much or this other camp too much because i don't want to rock the boat and upset people but the truth is you you shouldn't have to do that you know like you can defend for example you can defend donald trump without um that doesn't make you like a MAGA or die cringe conservative. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that it doesn't mean that you suddenly like, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, whatever it is those people like. I mean, it, it just means that you say, well, look, I'm, I'm defending this person because you guys are lying about him. <laughs> so that, that, that's it. It's got nothing to do with partisanship. Although I would say that because the, fem- the feminists are essentially partisan, Oh, absolutely. You are as well. Yeah. That's where yeah. People, I think it's projection. It's not even projection. I think they just think you are. You, you, you can only be right wing, even though we have historical and living examples of people who are not. Absolutely. But th- yeah, yeah. But that's because um, I think that that's related to a, a narrative. So I, I talked a little bit about this on an interview I, I did yesterday with a guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had me on his podcast, very small, but he wanted to talk. Uh, I said, well, there is a narrative about politics that um, I think that people buy into. And it's the same narrative as the patriarchy. So if we if we accept that the patriarchy narrative that's been going on for decades and that like everybody, for the most part, 
believes is true, which is this idea that either a men oppress women uh, have and have oppressed women all over the world, all throughout history to the to the benefit of themselves and at the expense of women. Um, or they they may not believe that they're currently oppressed by you know uh, that women are currently oppressed but that they once were in the past or they are in some other country somewhere again in the same unique way that patriarchy is defined which means that men did it to them on purpose and to benefit themselves mm-hmm. then um that and there, there is actually no evidence for it. In fact, there's plenty of evidence to the contrary. And when I say the contrary, I don't mean men were oppressed. I mean that most people were oppressed <laughs> throughout history uh, to, in different ways. And they have like checks and balances. And we've only recently become really free, uh, which ironically is the reason why feminism is allowed to exist. But I digress. And so there's a there's a narrative about feminism that most people like normies and blue pill people know and they all buy into it and to shake them out of that is tremendously difficult i think to a degree that is not quite as strong there is also a narrative about being right wing and there's a bunch of stuff that comes with it that's all very negative and i think that that came from our entertainment industry our media our politicians and our academics um and and i think that when someone says your right wing it it is almost always meant as a pejorative and there you're supposed to assume a lot of things from that like you're either a bible thumping um you know uh homophobic christian you're a racist you you know want to bring back the confederacy and slavery like there's all these negative retrograde ideas that are supposed to fill your head when you hear that word in the same way that any other pejorative would do that and um i think it's because our our entire society skews like is is sort of left bias and and i and i mean i don't i mean left not liberal i mean i I think that most people are liberal but they're a little bit biased in that way so when they hear conservative or they hear a right wing i think that they assume or it comes with a lot of baggage and i think that that was by design but what's the consequence of living in a society where there is no such thing as meritocracy as competition because this is something that i've seen and now they haven't repeated these sentiments but i've seen the weinstein brothers talk about like living in a world where there's no more rivalrous behavior where there are no more you know uh people aren't rude to each other and like like these sort of utopian ideas even if they're just entertaining these ideas right what would be the consequence of that and i think that what the the problem with all of these kinds of proposed solutions is they don't consider what that will do to people's happiness in that a men's desire to compete and and uh build things and be a part of a system that you know uh that rewards them for their efforts hard works and more importantly risk-taking ability but also women's desire to select the top men and sort of form the measuring stick 
of men's hard work. So when a woman, when women say, I want men like this, this is, you know, like today a woman will say, I want a man that has a car and he's got a house and a good job and he's got his shit together. Now, of course, that comes across as pretty shallow, but ultimately what she is saying is she wants to live she wants to be with a man that's going to make her feel safe so that she can then raise children in an environment that gives them the best odds of survival, if not outright thriving, you know, a thriving life. And what men do in response to that is they say, well, women are asking for these things. I'm going to try to earn these things. But if you take all of that away and you say, well, there's no such thing as property anymore, blah, blah, blah. What do women do? How will they select? Well, they, well somebody's got to run everything. So the people at the very top, the technocrats slash Marxists, dictators slash whoever ends up running this, they are going to get all of the women or at least access to most of the women. And so you'll end up with a situation where women's um, nature, which I I don't think anyone's going to tell them they're not allowed to have because, frankly, no intellectual has had the balls to say women have to change their preferences. Like they just don't, they're just terrified of that prospect. So I think that you're just gonna end up with an extremely lopsided society where men are, they may as well be castrated because they're not gonna be able to, and I know this is like an extreme scenario, so I'm not saying this is for sure, but I'm saying if you you take this to its logical conclusion, I think that that's where it's going to go. You're gonna have very few men with access to the overwhelming majority of women and a bunch of other men that are basically like work slaves. And they may not be like, there's nobody cracking a whip on them and they're not building the pyramids, but it's gonna be like it in a way that they probably don't realize, you know? Uh, you want to talk about the way that globalism can make it more difficult for men to pair bond with women? Yes, yes, it does. It definitely does. Um, and the reason why is because um, if you have globalism, that means that um, outsourcing and um, importing cheap labor become more of a thing. And that means that, um, and it's basically like can destroy local economies, right? And that means that the men of these local economies, the men like the countries that have more people coming into it, right? That they have a harder time to compete for a partner for, for with people when it comes to having a partner, and also when it comes to jobs, which means that they will like be, and that like puts an even a further threshold on, on men when it comes to pair bonding because of that. Ah, uh, yeah, you're right. That's uh, that is uh, the. The um that that is again it goes back to what I was saying before like ultimately what will result from that is uh, harems of thousands of women for very very few men that the most powerful at the top. So, but I will. But I'm also thinking this like most women like well at least most women that are decent right don't want to be with the bloke that already have a girlfriend. Hmm. And I honestly, I think I, I, I'm a bit like optimistic. A lot of people would say I'm optimistic, but I do believe that that most women would would want better. They would rather settle for a guy who makes it less um, than to all flock around the rich guy, right? I, d- I don't really think that's like that's what's going to happen. I think what is going to happen is that um, is that it was just going to be a lot of men that are without a woman, if that makes sense. And the positive, well, the only positive thing I, I could say is that. A lot of times the women don't seem to like the 
the to date the men that are immigrating to their countries if that makes sense mm -hmm. because like women are like it's kind of interesting um i've heard that, that or read that women are like uh, when it comes to their families they like women if they feel that their language um, are under threat right they tend to be more willing to to to, to like breed more children if that makes sense um mm -hmm. Which means that it could like means that the the threshold is going to go up for men, right? But it's still like going to like still like be uh, women are not going to go be affected. It's just basically going to kick in the women's natural instinct more, more, which is like very unfair for men because men is kind of bad at drunk. Like it's good for I suppose in one way, but the reason they do it is because they're under threat in a way, and yeah, that usually that usually means that something isn't right. Um, so therefore, it's still like an issue if that makes sense. Mm hmm. I, I think then what would have to happen is you'd have to continue to demoralize women as well. Right. That I mean, that's like the, the if you demoralize them enough. And of course, you know, human nature is going to human nature. This goes back to what I was saying before. You were not going to be able to socially engineer everyone. Um, it's just not going to happen despite how much people want it to. So what they're going to do is, I mean, they're, they're just going to keep doing what they're doing now, which is essentially demoralizing people, which impacts women more. W women are miserable. Like they they are actually more unhappy than men by like a large margin, according to studies. I'm not sure how you measure unhappiness per se. Maybe I think uh, women may actually tend to be negative, uh, more negative in general um, about the future and, and all of that. But But yeah, I mean, I guess if you... You know, and, and and I think you're right. I, I don't think that like these men, these powerful men are going to get all the women. Um, but I, I think that, uh, you know, pair bonding in general is going to be a lot harder. It's sort of like the 80-20 rule that um, gets brought up a lot with regards to, uh, you know, what, what women select for in men now and how they sort of shoot high. I think that that number is just going to get smaller and smaller. Um and there's and there are going to be a lot of women who are who feel like they're settling and they're just going to have to date somebody else and you know lower their standards and they are not going to be happy about it yeah and i mean i do believe that that in the end when the woman do settle down eventually right i it's kind of interesting because i do and very optimistic i have a very positive opinion of androsexuality and for people that might not know what that means it's just a gender neutral word to say people that are attracted to men so it's actually both men and women that like guys right and that is that at least when it comes to me right the type of guy that i'm like attracted to right i'm like i have a very very broad type if that makes sense and i think that's because sure. women too right and just think that the only reason why women aren't expressing that is if it's because most women are like raised that they're expected to be androsexual because it's like more likely so it just makes sense right um so therefore they basically feel that they need to like a certain type of guys and they also like need to have that guy they are like to be more approved by like others. That's why you see so many women fighting over the same guy. Uh, and then there are a lot of other guys who basically are far more better. Like if there was an objectivity, and it isn't. But if there was, the watch would be obviously better. But the, the, it seems that women tend to like want to guys that other women already have. If that makes sense, which is very unfortunate. Um, but it just seems to be the whole idea of um, the, the women are more like in a way socially conforming to society because a woman who's left out and get pregnant is gonna bear really bad brunt of that so i think that's like kind of reason why women are more like that and it's kind of like a shame that that's the case but 
Um, but I do believe that when women eventually like get a guy that they are into, right? Um, like they can see past the indoctrination of what type of guys they should like and see all the type of guys that they can like when the lower yeah. descent is a bit. And I do yeah. think that those women are, going, are actually going to be quite happy with their relationships if they, well, that is the case because some women are so high relationships, they basically say nobody's good enough. So therefore they don't get married at all. And those are usually the most, the most unhappy women. If that makes mm. sense. And we're back for the end. So Mike, cue the funnies. It's funny you should mention ethics because they're literally doing an Ellen Page movie where she like trains some young girl to be like a pro gamer and she's part of some all field female pro gamer squad and they got to beat the boys and there's a Gamergate like underpinning and get this it's being made by BuzzFeed Films. You guys know that BuzzFeed makes movies now? <laughs> Great. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. It's you know what I will the say. This thing is, it sounds like Buzz it's going to be probably it, still do better than Hollywood. It's I swear <laughs> to God, it's it's, it, 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 it's going to feel like they've been trying to squeeze the Zoe Quinn story into every superhero movie in the last seven years, right? <laughs> you know, I I, I just it's good. I will say this though, guys, it's going to be glorious. Do you remember? Do you guys remember the Law and Order SVU episode yeah. about Gamergate and the memes <laughs> that it spawned? Please follow through with this. Ellen Page is like such a has been. I mean, her her forehead gets more work than she does. So like let let let's let make it happen. Buzzfeed Productions or whatever you call yourself. Sad because I remember a time when Ellen Page was legitimately attractive. <laughs> yeah, right. I remember. Like, I don't. I don't know what happened. She was in The Last of Us. That was when she was the most attractive. I remember none of this. I'm kidding. Let that's not her. They all burn. Uh, I apologize for. It looks like my internet may have taken a little bit of a hit, but it's starting to become normal. Uh, the, the show wasn't interrupted, but I did see our, our stream go like to pretty, it, it turned into an Atari 2600. <laughs> so. True international pressure, Brian. True international pressure, everyone. Welcome to the subterranean lair under the subterranean lair. Everywhere we go. Men are being shamed. They're being shamed for being men, for being masculine, for their interests, for their lack of interest, for how they express their emotions, or don't express their emotions at all. You want to just suck it up and tough it out. But that's shame, too. Being stoic is the reason why women are hurt, don't you know? Or at least that's what they say. Imagine a community where men don't need women's permission to be men, where women have men's back. Because as strong as you are, sometimes you need someone to notice you and take a moment to show that they care. Imagine the Honey Badger Radio community, men and women coming together to be their best selves and support each other overcoming all the messages that men and masculinity are bad and to blame for the world's ills. If you're interested in joining that community and taking your place by our side, helping us build a more compassionate, a more just, and just plain funny world, then go to feedthebadger.com. Support our community. Take part. Help us build something great together. The world needs masculinity. 
It needs men. It needs you. We recognize that. Support that recognition. FeedTheBadger.com Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.